Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode 122 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm David. I'm Diana. And we are here to talk about the latest episode of SGU Seizure, which aired uh, this past Monday, April the 4th. Diana, how are you? I'm really good. How are you, David? I'm doing very well. Uh, Darren wasn't... We have to record this podcast a little bit early because I have a uh, an auction this weekend that I have to go to, and Darren uh, wasn't able to join us sooner. So he said, just bring Diana in for this episode. And so he's going to take the week off, and Diana's going to sub. Yes, I am the swing D. <laughs> <laughs> David, Diana, Darren. There you That's go. That's right. So it's great to have you back, as always. Thank you. Um, you provide it's fun a, to be a here. lot of insights, uh, an interesting perspective uh, from someone who has, who has worked in this field and uh, knows about the business. So there's some interesting things that we're going to talk about tonight from that perspective. So, um, uh, school going good? Everything going okay? Amazing. My students are just turning out the most amazing scripts, and we're actually starting development on a science fiction web series that we, the entire university is going to be involved with over the course of the next year, writing, designing, producing, directing. There'll be music, lyrics, dancing, wow. the whole nine yards. It's going to be, there's going to be like 15 different departments involved. It's going to be awesome. And they'll provide, they'll all pitch in the funding. Yes, and I'm going to pretend I'm Joss Whedon. Okay. No, that's totally cool. That's totally yeah. cool. I can see you in a beard. Yeah. I'm, no, I'll be Jess Whedon. I'm Jess, <laughs> Jessica Whedon. There you go. <laughs> All righty. Very good. Well, yeah, I, uh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops. I have uh, a Kevin Smith auction on uh, Sunday. If there are Kevin Smith fans out there, you may want to check out uh, propworks.com, P-R-O-P-W-O-R-X.com. Kevin Smith is a... Uh, is a director and he's um uh he's basically you know he's he's one of these guys who takes it upon himself to um to raise the funds and promote all of his movies you know he does he does his films for just a few million dollars uh clerks chasing amy jay and silent bob strike back not necessarily my cup of tea in in movie making, but there. No, but I'll tell you something, David. My students, the ones that are like in their early twenties right now, they're all Gaga for him. Yeah. So yeah, they would get a kick out of that. Well, he's uh, his movie Red State is uh, premiering in L.A. Uh, Saturday night, and we're going to be there. So we're uh, we're going to set up tomorrow. So basically, this entire weekend, I've been taken. So that's why we're sh- we're recording this a little bit earlier. So. But it sounds like a fun auction. I think it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, it's yes. going to be a live auction. Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes are going to be there. There's over 300 lots. So uh, definitely, if you're a Kevin Smith fan, check us out. Let's talk about Seizure. The main discussion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> about of... had a seizure watching this episode. Oh, Le- left okay. me in... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it did leave me in stitches a couple of times, though. I mean, yes. I have to say... It has one of my favorite moments uh, in SGU so far when uh, they pull out the artifacts, and uh, I didn't actually realize what it was, what they were handing them, until you know you see <laughs> the captain oh, yeah. in the yeah. mirror, and it's Brian, it's it's uh, it's Scott's face, and the guy screams, "Ah!" That was funny. <laughs> Wait a minute, you you didn't see the lit box? I knew right away. I yeah, could see I... the little lit boxes underneath, and I, and I immediately thought. 
That's clever. Little small power packs. Yeah, yep. that's yep. portable, uh, even more portable versions of the uh, of the stones. Uh, I don't know if they're power packs or some sort of tuner, you know, like a radio tuner. I'm not quite sure what the science is behind that. I mean, that's one thing Stargate Universe has really veered very far away from getting into the science to the level mm-hmm. that like SG-1 did and even Atlantis mm-hmm. got. And that, I believe that's an edict from Mark Stern at Sci-Fi Channel. I was at Comic-Con last year and in one of the television panel things, he talked about how they believe that today's viewers are not interested in the science behind the science fiction. They're more willing to go with like a magical realism style where you just take it and go with it. I don't agree with that, but that was where Mark Stern was coming from. Um, I, I can't believe I'm kind of agreeing with him on this. I think, I think it's important that you do explain certain things, but at the same time, I don't think you should allow your science to bog down your story. Because I can definitely recall... Carter going on for a couple of minutes and asking myself, I mean, and saying to myself, okay, this is, this is okay information, but you know what, this is taking up valuable screen time that I, that I would prefer spending on, you know, on other things. You know, one of the things that, uh, one of the ones that really stand out, I think is, um, in Children of the Gods in the pilot where she's talking in the, uh, in the, ma- in the, uh, map room and all we have to do is account for Shella Drift. And then I should be able to develop a program for the computer model to get the gate working. And she just keeps on going and going and going and going and going. It's, it's useful information, but you don't need to know that information in order to further the story. I disagree. <laughs> well, that's fine. That's yeah, okay. No, I, I enjoy, I mean, this is, this is a, a key reason why I enjoy the genre so much. I like hard science fiction. Um, I just really like it. And I like the, uh, the extra, what science fiction is, it's the speculation of taking science and going the next step with it. And if you have somebody like Amanda Tapping, who is so excellent mm-hmm. at the way that she explains science, and, and it's not just that the way the words are written, it's the pattern and the rhythm that she gives when she talks about it. Are you telling me that you never once stood on O'Neill's side and just wanted to go, Carter? No. Never? No. Nope, never. Mm. Never. I'm, listen, but, you know, I mean, I'm old school when it comes to science fiction. I cut my teeth when I was a kid reading science mm-hmm. fiction. So, I mean, I think it's funny when he cuts her off, and it's a very clever plot device to mm-hmm. have always somebody's like, all right, just cut to the chase. And we mm-hmm. have that with Colonel Young does that all the time with mm-hmm. Eli and Young and Brody and Volker. Yeah. Well, because the stuff's the stuff's fake, you know. I mean, it's not real. It's it's nice to know how they how they come to their clue. And I, I, you have to understand me. I'm arguing that only five percent of the time about that is is it annoying. I but I normally ninety five percent of the time I eat it up. But there are some instances where it's just you know as long as we know that it can work and kind of know how it works in, in rudimentary terms in a couple of sentences, I'm cool with it. But if we go into all of this exposition, we're taking away from time that could be better spent developing the characters. And well, the okay, story, but on the other side of that, let's look at what I feel that the writers have failed to do with Stargate Universe, and that's this whole thing about the background noise in the Big Bang. I feel that we needed to see more and there needed to be more visual displays and it needed to be extrapolated more instead of just being throwaway lines. I feel mm-hmm. that that was the one 
one area they fell down this season. And I, you know, I don't know how much of that was an edict from on high. You know, you don't know if you can really point to the writers or not. The, the, you, the podcast listeners have to understand these guys don't just write these stories and then throw them on the wall and get them shot. They get feedback from the networks. They get feedback from MGM. And they have to take that feedback mm-hmm. and they have to incorporate it for better or worse into their scripts. Mm-hmm. Well, One of the most difficult things about being a writer-producer. I think I think the largest part of, of you interpreting uh, not an entire explanation on many of these things can be attributed to the fact that I think these guys had planned on having three more years to tell it, and they're not going to get that now. But yeah, yeah this I mean, was the hook, David. This was supposed to hook us in, right? And you know, and it and it didn't happen. So, right. but you know, that's a whole conversation for another day. We could get the other D on Diane on. Yes, we Diane Turncheck. Get Diane, <laughs> Diana, Darren, and David. We could have a four oh, D conversation. There you go. Yeah, it's a little too many. We 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 try to keep it around three. We go Indeed. four, and it kind of flies off the rails. So, McKay and Woolsey are in this episode. This episode really was billed as kind of an Atlantis crossover, but I... I don't think you can call it an Atlantis crossover at all. A, the word Atlantis isn't mentioned once, which I was surprised at. And yes, I B, was too. these characters are originally SG one characters. You know, they just they've just had more appearances in Atlantis. You know, I don't really know what else to say other than that. It, it, Atlantis well, just wasn't involved at all. I was expecting a token mention of Atlantis and we'd find out what she's been up to. But well, let me when, ask you this, David. Have you seen did you see any of the commercials leading up to on on air leading up to the episode? I think it and, was Stargate Atlantis's David Hewlett guest stars. Okay. I think that's basically what they were saying. And they completely snubbed uh, Robert Picardo, if I may uh put out uh put that out there for my friend bob it's just like what <laughs> you didn't even you didn't even mention him you see him in the preview but that's it yeah that's crazy because i mean robert picardo hello the doctor star trek exactly Warrior. yes absolutely but um you know th- there's lots of interviews that happened with david Hewlett before the episode came out where he makes it very clear that the episode is not about mckay and it's not about Atlantis. It is very mm. much an SGU episode. Mm. And obviously, that was to be taken literally. Mm. Now, you know, it's been two years since Atlantis is off the air. And yes, as a viewer of the franchise, the first time I see McKay and uh, Woolsey in the episode, in, in Seizure, I'm thinking, oh, okay, so Atlantis hasn't gone back to the Pegasus galaxy. Please explain. Yeah. At least give me a line. Give me a bone. She can't be give in San Francisco Bay anymore. That's not possible. No. <laughs> you know, the, display- the displacement of water alone, we could get into that. But, yeah. It- I, I'm pretty convinced it's over Homeworld Command. But that's a whole other discussion. Um, <laughs> Shadowing the Pentagon? <laughs> uh, it's invisible. It's yeah, invisible. Yeah. So you don't see it. Seriously, I would like to, ha- or they have a su- another super gate, or they have another uh, bridge like they had before, mm. or they have something. It's po- I just I, I feel, it, quite frankly, that, I mean, this kind of segues into the whole thing of no mention of Jonas Quinn. There is yeah. this lack of the franchise that gave this series the opportunity to be on the air has been basically I don't know. It's like. I don't want to say they turn their backs on it because I don't believe that's the case. They've been pulling in plenty of little bits here and there. It is puzzling when it is they puzzling. go to the extent to reference Nishta, which is the substance that yes. uh, that uh, yes. Telford was con- was made confused with. 
but they overlook Jonas Quinn without giving him a token reference. I mean, just a freaking token reference, for crying out loud. For fans of that character, it could be interpreted as a slap in the face. I personally don't believe that. I just, though I do wish, I mean, Lord knows I'm not the biggest fan of Jonas Quinn. I liked the character. I'm not the biggest fan of him, but season six was a very good season. It was really Um, well written. I would have appreciated a mention of Jonas Quinn. And you have to ask yourselves, why didn't they include that? It may well, have been let's a deleted scene. Further, David, Jonas Quinn and McKay worked together in the two-part opener for season six of Stargate SG One, in Redemption. Oh, you're that na- that kid with the you're that alien kid with the na- the funky Nakoda. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, that's right. You know, and the whole and he taught Rodney McKay taught Jonas how to cross his fingers. <laughs> you know, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that in general I am missing from the this this series has been this consistent recognition of the franchise. Conversely, I will say I found it I it, it seemed to me McKay got to be McKay in this episode. He was not out of character. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you feel McKay was out of character? No, he was for, perfect. He was Atlanta? perfectly yeah. in character. Right. Yeah. Whereas, that was per- perfectly think, well yeah. achieved. Yeah, whereas, I mean, Jack O'Neill, that was like, I mean, it was Jack O'Neill on Valium or something when mm-hmm. he was on. I mean, that was not Jack O'Neill. Woolsey, I found very interesting in this episode. Is he no longer, you know, what's going on? Why is he no longer a commander? Why is he no longer involved actively? It would suggest that he's no longer administrator of, of Atlantis. It yeah. Really, he, would not, he would not be doing this kind of an assignment if he was administrator of Atlanta. Someone else is controlling the city. And I sure hope that by the end of the uh, Legacy series that it makes sense that that's the case because otherwise this won't make sense and it'll only make Legacy, the novel series, feel less canon. So something's going on there. But, you know, at the same time, you know, we're talking about not bringing in, not revealing what Jonas Quinn is up to and and not talking about Atlantis. In the same stroke that we talked about Nishta, we're also talking about Langara. You know, a, 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 a planet with a Nequadria core, the only other one that we know of. You know, people have been talking about Langara, and they acknowledge it with this episode, that Langara is a planet out there with an artificially created Nequadria core that can be used as a significant power source, which the Langarans are obviously using. So that is a nod to canon. That's a big one. Well, but apparently they survived the Ori attack a lot better than we thought they did. Yeah, they were under attack by the Ori. In season 9 or 10. Um, The Ori may have used their planet as, may have planned on using their planet as a power source, which would have given them a bit of, uh, a bit of protection. What a gorgeous set. Yes. Oh my goodness. Talk about what you were telling me the other day about colors and contrasts. Well, I mean, I just consider this episode to be in some ways the best visual episode of the series because you had four key different sets that locations that they were on each with a completely different color palette langara was these warm oranges and reds and yellows and it had this golden glistening look to it to i think to evoke the sense of the 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 quadria i think that was subliminally to do that energy Uh, Mm -hmm. yes exactly energy and power golden power you know you had the cool uh gray uh the the room at homeworld command the conference room Mm -hmm. you had the look of the virtual reality uh realm realm it had a lot of blue tones to it, light blues, and then you had the blacks of reality, so to speak, in, in, on Destiny. 
And I, it just was because you had four different specific locations, you really got to see the differences. Uh, there was such contrast. I, I think it's just stunning the way it's shot. And I find it just wonderfully terrific that it is directed by a woman with a heck of a director's list of credits. Helen Shaver is yes. a favorite of mine as an actress. I watched her on Poltergeist, The Legacy. I loved her in Tremors too. She is great. Well, um, she has directed Law and Order. She has. Flashpoint, Castle, yeah. Private Practice, Journeyman, which is a favorite sci-fi series of mine. Yeah. 4400. Judging Amy, the OC, Joan of Arcadia, which means she worked with Tim Minier. She, I mm-hmm. mean, she worked Dead Like Me. Yeah. Just caught, I mean, this, this lady. Yeah, she's very good. Outer Limits, which is obviously where she and Brad Wright probably first worked together. Yeah. Kudos to them for finally. This is the only, in the, in the history of the franchise. That's not true. The, that is this not is true. This is the second direct, woman director. Okay, the second, franchise. yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, if you let me finish. Is well, no, second? no, no. Amanda Tapping and right. Helen Shaver, and there was one other female director. Really? I can't think of her name right now. But yes, there is one other. Absolutely there is. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, but, you know, in the scheme of things with 300-some-odd episodes. You're right. You're right. You know, it's forgetting a name that matters. I mean, the point is is that this woman has demonstrated how well the show can be directed. I mean, that shot when it pans and trucks around the – the Stargate on Langara as, as mm-hmm. it's starting to gate up and spin, and you've got Young stepping up to the gate. What a, an emotionally powerful shot. All of the spins that you see are uh, done digitally. This is the Travel Stargate. That I, I don't think I'll be, I'll be breaking, any, breaking any rules with this. This is, this is the Travel Stargate that was brought down by PropWorks uh, uh, to be sold in the auction. Uh, the first Stargate auction, which was in September, late September, they uh, got in touch with us. The studio got in touch with us and asked uh, if they could borrow it again because they wanted to use it for this episode. So this was this had to have been June or July. Uh, they flew down. They inspected the pieces. I got them all together. This gate was sitting in my in my warehouse. Uh, they inspected the pieces. Everything was cool. Uh, we shipped it back up to Vancouver, and we wanted to have it on display the week of the auction at uh, the uh, sci-fi museum in seattle and of course it wasn't there because in the year that we had had the stargate the week that we were having the auction where we wanted to use it was the week that this episode was shot so while (laughs) the while the stargate is being used that was when we were up there in seattle doing the auction without the gate there It, it did sell the same week that it was showing, it, it did sell for I think seventy five grand. That's that's always funny, you know. I, well, you I know, every time I see this episode, it's going to be like this thing was this thing. I was taking care of it for a year before it was in this shot. There, there was I definitely could tell the difference that it was the real McCoy, not Absolutely. McKay, but McCoy. Yeah, and there was something quite. I, it, it stirred real nostalgic feelings for mm-hmm. me as an aficionado of the franchise mm-hmm. to see it, to see the camera moving around it, to see Young moving up to it and seeing the, uh, you know, a horizontal uh, parallel slice of it as it as the inner ring is going around. Mm-hmm. It was quite a nostalgic experience. I don't it'll be interesting to hear from any of your listeners if they call in next week, if they also had the same experience watching it. Yeah. 
that I, I felt very much the same. I mean, this is this is kind of the end of an era. I mean, it's it could be used in the future, but uh, it's it's likely not going to to happen. And the, you know, the this the, the travel star gate didn't spin. It never spun. So every time you see it spinning, and they spin they they you see it spinning several times. That mm-hmm. is a digital effect, and it was it was perfectly um, perfectly achieved. There are shots in SG one where you hear the gate spinning off world. They they're pushing the dialing buttons and it makes no sense that it should spin but you hear it spinning and sometimes out of the corner of certain shots while you're hearing it spinning you can see that it's standing still when uh out of some shots uh they they do have the stargate in there and you hear the sound but you don't see the movement so they were very careful in this episode to just just throw all their money in and when when it should be spinning have shots of it uh, have shots of that gate spinning let's get back to talking about the story though i mean as far as the story overall was concerned, what was your reaction to the episode? I had this conversation with Darren, and I might as well—I might as well um, say what I was what I was ultimately going to say in terms of my thoughts for the overall show. Had this not been the last season, I would have liked this episode more. I was honestly, truthfully expecting them to make a connection in this episode, mainly because. The show is ending, and I feel that, this, in my mind, the story is wrapping up. In reality, the story is ramping up. And had they gone on for five seasons, I wouldn't have expected them to have made a connection this episode, and I would have been okay with that, because likely at some point they would have tried again. I do think that Langara would probably have ultimately become the lifeline of, of uh, Destiny in the third or fourth, maybe even early fifth season. But because the show got canceled early... It left a sour taste in my mouth, and I think that had they known ahead of time that this was the final season, I think they would have written this episode very differently. I agree. It really need, There was no forward movement as far as the overarching arc of the series. It, yeah, in many and, ways, the episode's a waste. Yeah, except for one thing. Telford is up to something again. You think so? Because I rewatched that, and I didn't see your... I didn't... I don't agree with you on that. Well, when he is asking McKay, look, you know, if we can establish this, would you want to come through? And he starts talking about it in such a way as if he's going to be taking over. Nah, I I disagree with you, but go ahead. Well, I mean, it it just seems to me, and McKay even catches him on it at one Mm -hmm. point. Like, you know, wait a minute, you know, what's your story here? If anyone's job is in jeopardy, it is Rush's. and, And Telford does not trust Rush. So that is completely understandable. Now, that's valid. I got the feeling, though, that Tel- I, I just feel like ever since Telford came back, this, this other, this mm-hmm. half an hour ahead Telford mm-hmm. came back to be involved with everything. He, I feel like he's back to being the way he was in the first season. Mm-hmm. He's, he's colder. He's crude. I just, I don't get the same. He's very militant. Of- he's, yes. he's, he's very yes. militant, like a knife yes. edge. Uh, I, yeah, I couldn't. Uh, McKay would not be leading the military. You know, he's he uh, but McKay does raise the point, you know, I thought, you know, Colonel Young was in charge and Telford, you know, Telford has I, I feel that he has taken on the responsibility of of destiny from from Earth. You know, I, I think that he is still feels that it is in many ways his mission. And I do believe he truly cares about the people on board and wants to give them as much assistance as possible. And that does, even though, you know, what is it with geniuses and social skills? That is McKay. Yeah, but the whole thing about Telford, that it was originally his mission, 
he was the first one to run back to Earth when they had that when they had, thought they had the gate open when they were in the, in Twin Destinies. So mm-hmm. clearly, as far as he's concerned, the mission's over. Mm-hmm. So something else is going on, and I almost question if you know if we did deal with alternative universes and not just a time travel situation. And you this think that partic- this was a different rush? With, I who think was still I, in league with delusions. Different Telford. It's a. Yeah. I think this was a different Telford that was yeah. never deprogrammed. Well, That's we'll see, or yeah. maybe we won't, but, <laughs> but <laughs> we probably won't um, see. But yeah, you know, I I'm a huge fan of this actor. I just feel that the actors, the writers rather, are not being consistent with him, and there may be a reason for that. And I hope there's the opportunity to pay it off. It's frustrating that there's just a few episodes left. Mm-hmm. Only five more to go, and there's no way to know what the big plan was in terms of continuity the the show has been going full steam ahead and establishing its own a few episodes ago i think in in twin destinies uh vanessa james had talked about knowing mckay and you know mckay was either looking at her boobs or looking at her ass and in this episode it's pretty clear that he had been talking about looking at her boobs. <laughs> so that that relationship that had been established between the two of them is echoed in this episode with with james going and grabbing her uh her digicamo blouse you know, and covering herself up and asking McKay to walk in front of her, you know, that's a great exchange. And it just, it just intensifies the realism of the fabric of this universe. It's one of the things that I've always loved about this show. It makes, I mean, you feel that it's real when you're watching it. And I think SGU has done that more than, more than the other two before because of how, how intense the characters are, in my opinion. Yeah, I, um, I'm afraid that I have to differ with you. First off, I felt like that was a very 10, 15-year out-of-date joke. I mean, I just did the whole thing staring at the woman's boobs and, and all that. But more importantly, that's not the Rodney McKay at the end of Stargate Atlantis. He's not like that as of the last year. I mean, first off, whether we like the relationship with Keller or not, he was in a relationship with Keller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he did grow up quite a bit mm-hmm. in some regards, and that was one of them. As far as I mean, he had learned to work work with a woman. He worked with Elizabeth Weir. Okay, Taylor. I mean, let's talk about a woman who had a shirt cut open. You know, you were seeing cleavage, and by that last few seasons, McKay wasn't staring at her boobs. Mm-hmm. Okay, absolutely. So I feel like it was a little bit of a backward, cheap joke. McKay is in this for one episode, and there are certain. There are certain things that you expect out of McKay in terms of the broad picture, and I, and I, yeah, I do think you know he has he has probably grown a little beyond that, but still at the same time he has to be McKay, and uh, I mean, he was he really was yeah I mean he was ter- he was on top of his game, and I must say the actor looks healthy, he looks happy, he, uh, he oh yeah he he's really raising a little boy but, he's yeah. you know. I mean, when it's like it's it's like how refreshing Michael refreshed rather, I should say, Michael Shanks was when he came in to do first contact in the Lost Tribe in Atlanta season five. He was refreshed and he was ready to go with all the techno babble and the fast talking with McKay. You know, he wasn't run down. And McKay, uh, David Hewlett is the same in this case. You know, he's uh, this is his one episode and he's he's he has no reason to not bring his A game for that one script. So and by golly, he did. Well, television will wear you down. I mean, you work five days a week, 16 to 18 hours a day. I mean, one of the running jokes about television when I lived in L.A. and I'd go to parties on Friday or Friday night or Saturday night, you could tell who was working in half-hour television sitcoms versus the one-hour. The one-hour people 
were like le- using the wall for support so they didn't collapse. They were leaning up against the wall. Oh, They're so tired. Whereas sitcoms, it's like it's no big deal. It's like you come in on a Monday, you do a dry run, you come out on Tuesday for wardrobe for a couple hours. You don't work like you work on one hour. One hour is exhausting. But lastly, on the subject of McKay, I'd love I'd love to talk about the little character arc between him and Colonel Young in that episode. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. that was an excellent, that, that discussion at the end and how he and Young really came to an understanding. Yeah, before then, Young was telling him, you know, and I hope we talk about McKay and, and Eli in a moment. Young was telling mm. him, you know, I'm only going to do this if Eli says. If Eli says, if Eli says. Right. N- no, and in, in this last scene, McKay says, and Young thinks about it. And M- McKay was spot on, you know, this mission is over now. It's only going to get worse. And you yep. can see Young's wheels turning and he goes... You know, and he steps back to the Stargate, and, it, and it, part, part of me is thinking, oh, my gosh, he's about to get sucked into the vortex. <laughs> and yeah. no, he says, shut it down. Yeah, no, I thought it was a good little beat between the two of them. I think it was it was the one area of significant growth for each of those two characters that McKay has learned to articulate a fair argument. That is in itself is growth. He knows you know. how to he knows how to win some battles now. Yes, you know? he does. He does know how to do it without having to take cheap shots. But there you was know. a great line in that episode, Shepard's right about you. You know, that was that was a fantastic nod because, you know, McKay can be belligerent at times. You know, the whole exchange between between uh, Shepard and Cameron and the lemon in uh, in the Pegasus project, you know, that was the same type of thing. I they reminded me of McKay working under stress, you know. We have I I when can we get this done? Well, 2 hours or 1 hour. And I if I get started right now, 1 hour. You know, Shepard was right about you. A lot of my friends love that. You don't care for that though too much, I don't think. Isn't no, that what you said? No, I well, you know, I I gave some thought and at first I didn't like it because I felt that McKay and Shepard had really developed a very strong bond and friendship by the end of the series of Stargate Atlantis. And then I thought about it, and I thought about the reverse psychology technique, which mm-hmm. Young has used repeatedly. And oh, Jack O'Neill used it. That's yeah. right. Motivate people. And Young particularly does that kind of thing. And it's very likely that at some point... Shepard and Young had had a conversation, and Shepard said only wonderful things about McKay. Mm-hmm. And Shepard and Young was able to deduce, oh, okay, these two are like really tight and really good friends, but I know how to push. A, I need to push a button here yeah. with this guy, and I'm going to push this button and make him feel insecure, so he'll get on it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, so, and that is Young technique, and we've seen it done a few times. So, and it just only reinforced the the strength of this universe. The SGC and these ships—that's a relatively small club of command officers. These guys know each other. Yes. Young knows Shepard, and that yes. that only just increased the strength of that tapestry. I think. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So. Well, about McKay and Eli. Oh yeah. You couldn't you just tell that David Blue, as an Atlantis fan, oh, was eating yeah. that scene up. Oh yeah. He loved it. Bring it. Bring yeah. it on. You know? Yeah. yeah. It was That it had was, to have been a great cool. day on set. And they and and they had McKay say the one thing that I have said to you time and time again is that the problem with Eli if they got back to Earth, he he doesn't have a PhD. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, McKay I mean, said and McKay that says, look, line. look, kid, you know. <laughs> this yeah. is, one semester at MIT does not make you, you know, a quantifiable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he is a genius. It was yeah. it was a it was interesting. And I bought it and it actually showed that was another area that showed some growth in McKay. Yeah. Where it wasn't the old McKay. 
It was seeing past titles of doctorates and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. So that to me showed growth, and I love that. I bought. I bought that. I bought. Whenever there's growth in a character, I'm going to buy it. Well, I just would have wanted to be in Eli's head at that moment, and so you know, yeah, one semester at MIT, but you know, year and a half on Destiny. You know, I mean, that I have learned a few things in my time here. You know, and this is one of them. So, but it was funny. They they solved one problem and moved right on to another. I know. <laughs> and arguing. And they were, yeah, they were just arguing for the sake of arguing when Colonel Young showed up. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of fun. Yeah, that was definitely kind of fun. Yeah, uh, I thought I, I, I enjoyed seeing McKay. It made me realize how much I miss McKay. Woolsey, I was not I didn't get enough of. I felt odd about him. I felt like he took a big step back. All the things he learned at Atlantis were gone. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't makes sense to me what he was what how he was talking what he was doing why was he even involved in this this is one of those cases where i think woolsey took on the role that o'neill should have been given this yes. would have been the perfect position for o'neill to be involved with yes. and they went and gave it to picardo and called it an atlantis crossover episode or we call it that or whatever but i think rda should have been in that position as much as i love robert picardo and as much as i, I i'm happy that he's getting work it should have felt like it was O'Neill. And did you notice the uh, the the, pit, the plaque of O'Neill behind the uh, in in the wall of on the wall of Telford's office? No, I'm a picture of Jack O'Neill, General O'Neill, hangs in the I corner. Love I love it. Well, but the thing, the problem, I, there's a, there's a huge continuity problem for me as far as character consistency with that whole situation. I don't believe. I mean, just. If you go back and you look at General Hammond, for instance, who was Jack O'Neill's mentor, Mm -hmm. I do not believe that General Jack O'Neill would have approved this mission Mm -hmm. with Langara, where they were basically stealing the gate in a certain Mm -hmm. way. And putting everyone's lives at risk. That was was a very NIG type of thing. Yeah, yeah. You you have your protagonist doing something very antagonistic. And I don't um, believe O'Neill would have approved that. What yeah. I would love to have had is have it go an extra beat in the story and find out that he didn't approve it, that it even know it happened, but as, and people as, are in trouble for it. And as soon as you do that, you alienate uh, – y- y- your Jack fans are alienated from the SGU team. The same thing I happened know. to Jonas. The same thing happened to Jonas. People shut Jonas off as soon as they found out that, that Jack thought of Jonas's race as a bunch of lying bastards. They said, well, okay, SG-1, Daniel has been replaced with a lying bastard. And that's what happened. And pe- fans are still licking their wounds over that to this day. You can't do that. You can't place Jack on a side like that. I know. But it's criminal in a sense with both O'Neill and Jonas in this particular episode because they both would have lent much more subtext and depth to the story. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I just – with Jonas, I think it's a shame that a character who – if it wasn't for our affection for Daniel Jackson, I think we would look at Jonas differently. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. Um, because I think he is a very interesting character, and season six had some of the very best episodes there ever. There are plenty of people who can, who can, uh, big, big Daniel fans actually, who look past it, you know, and yeah. recognize that, uh, I, I know a few of them, recognize that Jonas is a, uh, or they, they appreciate Jonas as a character. But yeah, a lot of people don't. So. A lot of people don't. So, I mean, it's, there's some validity across the board with here. With, with this whole thing. I do question, though, does Jack O'Neill know about this mission? Mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. question that. It's a question that's not answered. It's not clear. 
Um, I don't think Woolsey would have gone along with it otherwise. I mean, just look at what he says. You know, it's almost a reversal of of yes. what comes later, which leads me to believe that someone said, "Okay, go. You have a go." Yes, so. that was confusing to me. There's a whole <laughs> B plot that we haven't talked about. This episode, I'm, I, I'm going to reiterate what Darren said, if I may put words into yeah. his mouth or take them back out again. He, he and I both loved Hope. It felt like two A plots in one episode. This feels like two B plots in one episode. And this other plot, you know, feels like it could have had more of an episode unto itself if it was given a little bit more, a little bit more strength. It did feel like like two episodes in one. Young is trapped inside of the artificial destiny program which Young experienced before as, uh, as the Destiny No Win scenario. The Destiny, basically the Destiny Kobayashi Maru. And he is having intimate relations with Amanda Perry, who is, um, though, happy to be able to be free of the, uh, of the quadriplegia that she was afflicted with on Earth, is very lonely. Um, you and I went round and round the tree like cats and dogs on this one uh, a couple of nights ago. And I'm interested to... Uh, regurgitate that again on air here amanda perry set up parameters in this program that if the that the the program would only end if rush acknowledged that he loved her or if rush felt that he loved her and through the rest of the this episode she's trying to fix the program because she at some point realized what a mistake that was uh she's unable to succeed you however i think if i recall correctly interpreted it slightly more maliciously well i think you know, if you're, it's kind of like being one of those isolation ta- tanks. After a while, you're going to go nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, I mean, uh, uh, sensory deprivation chamber. Yes, sensory deprivation. Yeah. Cha- I mean, in a sense, yes, yeah, she's got senses, but it's still not real. More than ever before, you know? she can feel out. She can see outside the ship. You know, she. Can, it's still not real. She's kind of taken on the 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 Cylon hybrid. You know, but you're right. It's not. You know, still she's she's interpreting real. it as as flat data rather than right. anything with depth that's right and so. she's needy i mean she's very needy yeah i think the real problem that i have with the, that whole subplot is that there is not a it, it's that that subplot is a mystery there is a mystery in that subplot and any good mystery has red herrings it has twists and turns but you also lay down clues along the way clear clues so that the viewer is participating in solving the mystery. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel that the clues were laid out well enough, and I don't feel that uh, the whole bit about love or not love was laid out in such a way that we could follow along. I just don't feel it was a well-written subplot. I feel it was a very well-acted subplot and well-directed subplot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was just the acting was terrific and the directing was terrific, and it was just nice to see Rush just basically trying to take a holiday, so to speak, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then realizing the responsibilities of doing that and how he had misguided this girl. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was very well done, but I just, I felt like the suspense and the mystery just, it wasn't strong enough. It wasn't, it it was a really good idea that I don't feel the story was executed well. Mm -hmm. Initially, she blames Gin for the problem. Gin is upset about them being able to get together because, you know, Eli and and her apparently had a conversation about wishing for physical contact. Uh, I didn't entirely buy it, but I didn't know what was going on, to be perfectly honest. But, yeah, it turns out that, you know, she's holding him there, either consciously or, or... 
intentionally or unintentionally, he can't leave. And you know, I think this speaks. In, uh, I think this is uh, this speaks something interesting about Russia's character. You know, he tells her, "I do love you. I do love you." But I think the truth of it is, he loves Gloria more, and that's what's preventing him from from truly, quote unquote, loving Amanda Perry. I think yep. that that's what's holding him back. And Gloria is the unspoken X factor in this, I believe. Yes, and I kind of, I think that was part of my problem is that I didn't want it that unspoken. Yeah. I felt like there needed to be this. I yeah, she could have said you love Gloria more, and he would have been left speechless. He would have No, been left... or Rush needed to come clean. Yeah. And, and basically yeah. say that she was, she was the love of my life. And, and why didn't she show up in all of this? Why, where yeah. did that avatar, you know, where's that avatar? Why didn't that we avatar don't, we're not, show up? We're not sure that it is an avatar. In fact, I'm, I'm, believing, I'm believing more and more with Darren that it's something in his head. By now, I think Eli would have uh, seen 900 terabytes of Gloria in the database. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I just, I don't know. I just, I think it, it was too convoluted, I think, is the fair word to use for this yeah. thing. Great idea, some beautiful acting, but the dots did not connect and it didn't have the build that it needed to have. I felt it even got redundant at one mm-hmm. point after a while. Mm-hmm. Back on the point of Gloria real quick, I think that what's happening is that Destiny has taken her image and has manifested it because of the the intense regret that he has for not being mm. there when she died and it is using it has used her her facade as a tool to motivate him mm-hmm. um i think that's what's happening there i i don't think she's in the system because if she's in the system he would have had to have her downloaded at some point which would have mean which would have meant that he would have had to have some kind of sgc's technology to do that and i just don't see it happening i don't see it happening we'll see if they're going to answer that it'll be interesting to see but I don't know if I would say it was two A plots or two B plots. I feel either of these stories could have had more time. I mean, quite frankly, for me, I wanted more of Woolsey and I wanted more of Rodney McKay yeah. and I wanted more of Len Guerra. Yeah. You know, I mean, they had Victor Garber on and they barely Great used actor. him. He's in what, two scenes? I know. I mean, he should have been singing. <laughs> you know, he's, <laughs> he was Jesus, wasn't he? He was in Godspell or Jesus Christ uh, Superstar. I forget which one. And he's in Glee. <laughs> yes, and he's been. And they didn't use him there either to sing. Yeah. And he's a phenomenal singer. Yeah, he was in Titanic, also. I might add. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Mr. Andrews. Um, yeah, he was in sink. Glee. He was in Star Trek. Believe it or not, as a Klingon interpreter. Yeah, it was deleted really? scenes, but okay. yeah. He was. I'll be darned. But his very first thing that he did was Godspell. Okay. And he was Jesus. And he could sing. He could sing. Wow. So, yeah, back in 1973. How do you like them apples? (laughs) I feel that both of these were really interesting ideas. It was a sandwich that was put together that didn't quite work as far as a a unified whole of a story. There wasn't a theme there for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. whereas like hope, absolutely, there was a theme. Alliances, there was a theme. Twin destinies, there was a thematic going on. This yeah. was just, this was like taking a piece of pumpernickel and a piece of white bread and putting them together, and it just didn't, didn't work. Uh, yeah, I think in those respects, this is one of the weaker episodes of uh, of the season. But it's, I mean, it's still a good show in the oh, end. Yeah. It makes it makes you think. It has it has some funny beats there. It does. It takes some chances with uh, our characters. I mean, in the end, we don't connect, and we're we're left with the the position that we're in. We assumed that these guys were uh, 
we're having a we had a relationship with the Lucian Alliance. You know, we we actively assumed that we put listening devices in orbit. Hello, we, we encroached on their privacy, and we we saw Lucian code. And what what it turned out was once once um, Woolsey got into the office of the administrator and went through his files. Only then did they find out that they'd been steadfastly refusing Lucian involvement. You know that we do some dirty things in this episode. You know we are not nice. We are not nice neighbors. No, um, you know, I mean, we have never been. I mean, that's just the truth. You know, yeah. so it's okay all the way to, back to like spirits. You know, I mean, people right. the, these these alien cultures have a right to uh, suspect us. Yes, you know? absolutely. And Woolsey yeah. said it. What government, what bureaucratic body has never acted in its own interests first, please? And, you know, there and th- there was a nod to a suggestion of, you know, like uh, an allegory to oil. And in the beginning of that episode, that opening that opening sequence is a good one. You know, mm-hmm. um, the, Victor Garber's character says, are you really suggesting that if we don't cooperate you, with you, you're not going to give us the support we need when the Lucian Alliance finally decides to attack? That, that's a whole discussion topic in itself. You know, what, what are our ethics as, as Homeworld Command, as Stargate Command, as whatever command? What is it that drives us? And I think that those are valid points to explore. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I thought that that, that that was very interesting. The other thing also going on, the other plot, it was the whole thing about 3D intimate relations. Uh, anyone who's familiar with Second Life... Mm. which is this virtual reality world there mm-hmm. is there's sex clubs in there and there yeah. are people have created uh they have built technology to allow them to interface with the the, the second life it's the opening scene is, of caprica man yeah well actually on caprica i went to a robotics symposium a science robotics symposium in new york that had some of the Battlestar Galactica actors and some genuine roboticists. And one of these roboticists had a jack put in his arm so that he could be in New York, plug into the Internet, and operate a robotic arm in an Oxford University. Mm. And he told us he had his wife put one in, too. And you can just, we'll keep this PG and move on with the story, but oh you can get gosh, the point imagine, of where it's yeah. going. Right. Yeah. It's, go- it's going there. I mean, the, ga- the price of gas and oil is going through the roof. We are all mm-hmm. becoming more isolated in our homes. The Internet's getting faster. The technology's getting better. Where is it going to go? And that VR chair, was that one of the intents for long ver- voyages was to have an opportunity? To- it's their version of the, holog- the holographic deck on Star Trek. Yeah, my friends and I, we argue this point about, about the Internet and, and computers and speed you know, in our lives, you know, they say, you know, we communicate with the Internet. We communicate with with one another better than ever before. And I argue, no, we don't. Yeah. You know, we we are losing our social skills. I know some people who have nearly completely lost them. Do you know people who have accused me of that? <laughs> so, oh, but it's um, no, I just wanted to raise that point. You know, I think I think that the point of the VR chair and what happens in this episode is is another one that could be explored in an entire podcast. We might just have to do that. Well, actually, so. and also you could add into that from the Atlantis <laughs> episode. And forgive me for not remembering the title, but the one where uh, Shepard uh, talks with the VR versions of the an- the ancients. Who yes, were Aurora. On the ship. Yes, yeah. the Aurora. That's a great and he episode. later puts a replicator into uh, the same type of a device and, yes. and gives her a continued life, a la Moriarty and uh, and the Countess Regina Bartholomew. Yes, you know from uh, from Ship in a Bottle in TNG. There's our TNG reference. Right, quibbles. 
Oh, yes, I have them, but you go ahead first. It's time for Quibbles. When the ship comes out of emergency FTL, there is an 11, 10, 11 second opportunity for the prisoners aboard Destiny to tell the people around them, I don't know where I am, but whoever is talking to you, it's not me doing it, before they get sent back. Right. They have used this device as recently as a couple of episodes ago, this, this plot device. They, Twin Destinies, yes. Twi- uh, I'm thinking. I'm I'm thinking of with the um, with disabling the bomb uh, alliances. Yes, yes, alliances. Um, yeah. They choose to ignore that plot device in this episode, completely, which was kind of shocking to me because they've been all they've been on the ball of all these little things for a long time now. They skip over that. I, I'm. I, I think you could explain it away that you know Young and Scott and their counterparts were only around other SGC officers and and any Langarens were out of earshot and it wouldn't have mattered but they don't acknowledge it those guys when they were back in their bodies they were definitely would have been disoriented but they would have realized that they were in control again they may uh, certainly they didn't realize that it would be a limited amount of time for them to communicate so you know but they didn't acknowledge that at all when the ship comes out of FTL i was expecting us to go back to langara and see something happen yeah and, and it, w- it would have just been an extra beat really it really would but you know what this episode was written by um Remy Abakan yeah and it's possible that they were written out of order and they didn't think about it and they didn't catch it yeah it's very possible but i think it's a good point <clears throat> ready for my quibble go right ahead Okay, so we have that wonderful geek talk going on between Rodney McKay and Eli. Yes. Eli has never met Rodney McKay, and I'm sorry. You don't know that. No, hold the phone here, okay? okay? Before Destiny took off, I mean, before actually the Hammond took off to go to Icarus, mm-hmm. Eli had no idea there was a Stargate program. Mm-hmm. Eli literally, the moment Eli found out there was a Stargate program... Eli he got was, sent up to the Hammond. He was brought up to the Hammond. He went to Icarus Base. The disaster happened. He went through the went through the Stargate through the Ninth Shed Rod and ended up on Destiny. I I, I imagine that you're right in that he probably has never seen McKay. Right. So let me. But I don't believe that he's finished the quibble for the listeners to understand okay. my point. My point is that they're they're going back and forth. And McKay makes a joke about, starts to make a joke about David's weight. Uh, I'm sorry, about Eli's weight. And he says, well, you know, when I was your age, I didn't carry that much. And then meaning his weight, because he, he kind of points towards a st- Eli's stomach. And he says, Eli- when I was your age, I had much less. Yes. It's important to know that. Yes. And then Eli, Eli says, basically refers to, well, I had, you know, I had more hair. So... Mm-hmm. That but is, that's what I don't understand because Eli basically Brody's says body. I had much less hair. Yeah, but that was Brody's body. Right. Okay. So right. He didn't seem from where I'm standing, the way that those two are talking, the way that they're behaving with each other, they've never met before. These are two right. new geeks coming together and going, "Ooh, somebody new to techno babble with." Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And all that enthusiasm is coming from a first-time meeting. So yeah. I do not buy that they ever met before. And a joke was thrown out at the expense of continuity for the series, which is with the stones. You do not see the person who's, who's stoning in. You see the body. Yeah. Right, which but the, the joke doesn't even make sense. Rodney says, when I was your age, I had much less hair. Much less hair? 
No. What, that doesn't make sense. Hair. David, he doesn't say hair. He says, I was carrying less, and he, and he gestures towards Eli's stomach. And then Eli says hair. And then Eli says hair, right. That Eli- makes no sense. He would have meant, oh. if it, the joke it were to work, it would be much more hair. No, it made. I'm sorry, it made sense to me, but it was continuity-wise, <laughs> didn't work. So we'll hear. We'll wait to hear what the listeners have to say about that. You don't one. have less hair when you're younger. You have less hair when you're older. No, he was. I I, I got the joke. I, I, got I, the I understand joke, where McKay is coming from. That's funny. Where I was when I was younger, I, I was carrying around much less weight. Right. But when David flips it around, when Eli flips it around, that doesn't make sense. No. So unless he was looking at Brody. And thinking that Brody had because Brody's long haired, he's got so, curly hair. Then that would make sense. That would solve your problem and mm-hmm. make the joke make sense. Sorry, that's fan wanking. I don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Maybe uh, someone someone unravel it for me in two yes, minutes or less. Yes, exactly. Oh mercy! But you know, it was all the little quibbles and and the only we poke holes in it because we love it. Real. Mm-hmm. It is. It was visually one of the most stunning hours of television I've seen in several years. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I give kudos to them for that. Um, we have a few more episodes, and you know, and that's we'll it. I know. That's it. Well, Diana, I appreciate you uh, you joining us once again. It was uh, it was great to have you on. Thank you for having me. It's always missed, to talk to you. Miss Darren this week, but uh, he will be back, and so will you. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, at some point here, uh, a, schedules permitting. Is that a promise or a threat? <laughs> well, however you care to interpret it, yeah. schedules permitting. Speaking of schedules, the podcast schedule on April 18th or thereabouts, expect the uh, podcast for episode number 123. We'll be talking about SGU's The Hunt. 124 will take place around April 25th. will be about the SGU episode Common Descent, and one that I'm looking forward to that I've only seen one piece of concept art on, which really makes me interesting makes uh, more me because i always need to be more interesting it makes me interested in it may 2nd episode number 125 a milestone for us the episode sgu's epilogue so those are uh, the podcasts coming up thank you for tuning in thanks to all of uh, our listeners uh those of you who are here just to hear Diana, thank you for uh, tuning in to uh, join us, and I hope you uh, tune in when Darren's back. Thanks to Russell for editing this show. He is a this this guy is man. He can whip them out. Um, so uh, we really appreciate uh, having him on. You can give us a call on the hotline at area code nine five one two six two one six four seven and have your voice heard on the show. You can give us a call day or night, or you can email in a brief audio recording, uh, MP3 format preferred, uh, to webmaster at gateworld.net. Please keep your comments brief, under a minute and a half, uh, if possible, so that we can bring it into the show. Otherwise, we have to start slashing. Uh, to keep uh, the show under time because we talk too much. And uh, the podcast feedback thread is at your disposal in GateWorld Forum for you to uh, chat with other listeners about the show or to talk with us uh, directly. Um, And, of course, uh, Darren's show notes are available each and every week that discusses all the proper nouns uh, that you've uh, heard in this show and links, relevant links to things that are going on on the Internet. 
Um, I mean, we mentioned Nishta in this episode, you know, regarding Colonel Telford. You'll be able to find that link to the Omnipedia in uh, the show notes page. So kudos to Darren for doing that. And kudos to you, Madir. Thank you for uh, taking the the time out to help us. I know you're going to be particularly busy this weekend, so I really appreciate uh, uh, you taking time to come on and spend it with me. Well, it's a lot of fun, so thanks for having me. All right, Diana. This is David Reed. And this is Diana Botsford. We'll be talking to you very soon with another episode of the Gate World Podcast. 